Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. Our text today is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, uh, picking up in verse 22 through 2, verse 3. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask God for His blessing on our study this morning. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, You have made us not to exist on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Give us a hunger for your word, and in that food satisfy our daily need. Lord, open now our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what your Spirit will say to us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, picking up in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, uh, fifth grade and under, come up and join me. Welcome. Yeah, come on around. There's room on this side. Hey. Yeah, there you go. Hey, guys, come on up. All right, uh, question for you. What are some basic things that your body needs in order to grow big and strong? What, what are some basic things? Yeah. Meat. Yes, I like that answer. Yes. Yeah, vitamins, like nutrients, like all that good stuff that comes from good food. Yeah. We, we need things like sleep, right? We, we need some exercise. But food is, a, is one of the important things that our, our body needs to grow big and strong. When, when it comes to food, should you eat just any old junk food? No. But we do sometimes, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, what, what kinds of good foods do we need to really go big and strong? Eleanor, you already mentioned meat. Yeah, that's a good one. What else? Fruit? Yeah, tomatoes, yeah. Eggs, all right. Broccoli. Broccoli, oh, you dear child. What a good boy you are. My mom wished she had a boy like you. Yeah, uh, okay, so, so you've mentioned some really good foods. I mean, you guys know that, like, Little babies, they can't eat that stuff. What do little babies need? Milk. Yeah, they need milk. They, they need that nutrient-rich milk. Uh, we, we eat our vegetables. We're supposed to. 
Meat gives our muscles important protein to, to repair and get stronger. You know, even sweet things like fruit and honey, they're good for us, even as they are enjoyable to us. And taking in all that good stuff is one of the most important things that we can do to grow strong and healthy. Well, in the passage that we just read, Peter is telling us that God's Word is the food that we need to grow up in the salvation the Lord is giving to us. God's Word is like the milk that little ones need in order to get strong and healthy. And, and while God's Word is so simple that even a baby Christian can get something good out of it, can benefit from it, it's also so rich and meaty that even the most mature believer will always find something new and delicious and helpful in God's Word. It, it, David, in the Psalms, says that God's Word is sweeter than honey. And so, if you want to grow up spiritually, then you need to keep hearing God's Word and thinking about what you're hearing. And so I want you guys to ask your parents, Keep bringing me to church. Uh, come to Sunday school. Keep coming to the Wednesday night classes that are starting back soon. And if you can't read your Bible for yourself, that's okay. Ask your parents to read it to you and, and talk to you about it. Because we taste the goodness of God when we feast on His Word. And through it, we grow up to enjoy life in God's kingdom. And all that is another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seats. You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. We are uh, coming to uh, the end of the fourth and final part of a series of sermons that we began some time ago on the doctrine of salvation. Remember, we began with our need for salvation. Why, why do we need to be saved in the first place? And we actually heard the answer to that in the vows that the children took here this morning. We are sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving of His wrath and displeasure. We're justly condemned, justly under a sentence of death, and without hope of doing anything to redeem ourselves, doing, without any hope of, of reconciling ourselves to God. And so we needed God to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We needed God to provide the salvation from our sins. And he did that. He, he did that through the, the person of a Redeemer. And we looked carefully at who that Redeemer was. We saw that it was none other than the eternal Son of God come in the flesh as our perfect prophet, priest, and king. Come to redeem us from the curse of the law by giving his own life in our place and rising again victorious over sin and death. We then third looked at the benefits of his work. What is it that we receive from Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? And we, we considered all of the various benefits, those benefits that we receive in this life, like, like our justification, our adoption, our, our sanctification, and even the grace to, to persevere to the end. 
And then we consider the, the benefits that we receive at death and at our resurrection on that last day. And then finally, just a few weeks ago, we began to consider how it is that we receive those benefits. How do we uh, partake in the benefits that have been secured by Christ? How do we partake in His salvation, His redemption? And you'll remember that our, our catechism teaches us that in order to escape the wrath and the curse of God that are due to us for our sin, what He requires of us is first faith in Jesus Christ and the repentance that is the expression of that faith as we turn from our sin back to God with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. And we, we spent some time looking at that faith and that repentance. And, and we saw uh, that we sometimes even question our faith and repentance. We spent three weeks looking uh, at the tests of faith and repentance that John gives us in his first letter. Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do, uh, have we uh, believed in him in such a way that we seek now to obey him? And is our obedience to him marked by genuine and sincere love for our brothers and sisters in Christ? And we, we took the time to meditate upon those tests because we need the encouragement. We, we need the encouragement that those tests provide. Those tests encourage us because they, they encourage us to look at what God is already doing in our lives. And it is his work in our lives, that, that work of transformation, that is our assurance uh, that we will reach the finish line. You see, if, it was, if we were just simply looking at what we had done, not much encouragement there. But if we were looking at what the faithful God has done, there is great encouragement there because he is faithful. And even as we have sung this morning, he will hold us fast. As Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, he who began the good work will bring it to completion. And so when we look at our lives and see the evidence of what God is already doing, we can know that our salvation will one day be complete. But how does God do that? How does God keep us in the faith? Well, there's actually a hint of that in the, the question that I uh, referred to earlier. Because when we hear what our catechism says, it says what is required of us to escape the wrath and curse of sin is, yes, faith, yes, repentance, but also the diligent use of the ordinary means of grace. Now, that doesn't mean that we uh, earn salvation by our use of those means of grace, but rather those means of grace are given to us that we might sustain and strengthen the faith and the repentance by which uh, we have laid hold of Christ. And so we are going to spend the next, I don't have any idea, how many weeks, uh, looking uh, at these means of grace. How is it that we strengthen and sustain our faith in this present life? Well, again, our catechism helps us because it tells us that the ordinary means of grace by which we strengthen and sustain our lives, those ordinary means of grace that, that God has given to his church are his word, his sacraments, and prayer. And we're going to begin this morning with the word looking specifically at the, the power of the Word. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll look at the, how that Word works in our lives and, and how uh, we make use of it. But this morning, our focus is going to be on the power of God's Word. And we, we see that here in First Peter. We, we see it as, as Peter refers to the, the Word as the, the seed by which we have been born again, and the, the milk by which we grow. But before we consider specifically what Peter is saying here, I want us to actually flip over uh, to Paul's letter to the Romans. 
Romans chapter 1. Because there, uh, Paul makes a, a remarkable statement about the power of the word. In the first part of Romans, Paul is explaining to the Romans why he hasn't yet come to, to visit them. He says, I've wanted to come, uh, but I've been prevented. But, but the fact that I haven't come doesn't mean that I don't have a desire. In fact, he says, beginning in verse 15, he says, I am eager. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is eager to to visit the church in Rome, and he is eager to preach to them the gospel. Why? He tells us in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's eager to preach the gospel because he's not ashamed of the gospel, which is a, a, a very sort of backhanded way of saying, I exalt in the gospel. Why? Why does he exalt in the gospel? Why is the gospel his delight? He tells us because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is eager to preach the gospel in Rome because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So what we're going to be unpacking in 1 Peter chapter 1, this idea that the Word is the power of God for salvation. And I'm, I'm interchanging the word gospel and word there, and, and rightly so. Paul here refers to the, the gospel, and the gospel is, as you know, good news. The gospel is the, the pronouncement of what God has done, and specifically what God has done to reconcile sinners to himself. It's what he has accomplished in Christ. Good news is an announcement of something accomplished. You, you've heard me say it before, but the, the central message of the scriptures is, is not good advice. It's not what you must do in order to reconcile yourself to God. It is good news. It is the, the announcement of what God has done to reconcile sinners to himself. And what you need to understand is that the word, the scriptures that have been given to us by inspiration of God, they are fundamentally the story of that work. They are the story of the work of redemption. The scriptures are the gospel. Sometimes we are tempted uh, to to narrow the gospel down to uh, one particular part of the scriptures. And, and, you know, there there, there may be reason to do that on occasion. But but generally, it is better for us to understand that the scriptures are the gospel. This is the story of what God has done. This is the story of what God has done in Christ to reconcile us to himself. And yes, there are imperatives there. There's there's instructions about how we ought to respond to God's good work. But the the centerpiece of the story of all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the, the, the centerpiece of the story is the work of God. God's work of Redemption. That's why Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 that this word uh, that is the seed of your birth, this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news of what God has done to reconcile sinners to himself. And this word, this gospel, is God's power for salvation. Just think about what that means. What do you think of when you think of God's power? You think of his creative power. He is the God who who speaks into existence that which formerly did not exist. He is the God who creates by merely speaking. Let there be light, and there is light. This is the God 
who is saving sinners. This is the God who, who reconciles us to himself through salvation. He is the Almighty, the, the Creator, and he is the sovereign Lord over what he has created. He is the God who now sustains and, and rules over all that he has called into existence. The whole world holds together. The whole world is sustained in him by the word of his power. This is what Paul is, is uh, and what Peter are, are suggesting is the power of the word, that same power that called into existence that which formerly did not exist, that that same power that now upholds the universe, that power is in the word. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the word or the gospel as the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. That's why Paul was eager to preach the gospel in Rome. He knew that if he preached that gospel, that gospel would work. That gospel would have an effect. If he preached that gospel, it would bring forth a harvest to the praise of the glory of God. It's the, it's the promise that God himself makes in, in uh, Isaiah 55. My word will not return to me void. There is no possibility of God saying, let there be light and it remaining dark. In fact, Paul uses that exact uh, analogy in his letter to the Corinthians when he says the God who, who at first spoke light into the universe has now spoken light into the hearts of sinners. He has made them new. It's the, it's the power that we see on display in, in Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. Is it not? Uh, he, God says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. <laughs> If you want them to live, they will live. If you speak life, even into death, it will be vanquished. It will be overcome. That which is dead and and dry will be made alive, will be made new. That is the power of God's word. And this is why... This is why uh, we need to to take the time to to meditate upon the power of the Word. We we need to recognize what we have here. What we have here is not just an extraordinary textbook. It's not just a a collection of of human wisdom. It's it's not just instructions for for how to live your best life, how to to make the best out of, 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 of of your life in this fallen world. What we have here is the very power of God. It's, it's why uh, we make the word central to everything we do here at Trinity. We exist, we say, to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We, we exist to, to call people to faith in him and then to help them grow up in their salvation. And we can only do that by God's power. Therefore, we can only do it by his Word, Because here, in his word, we have the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And that's the very idea that, that Peter is driving home in 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn back there to our main text. 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice, Peter is writing to those who have purified their souls 
for a sincere brotherly love. He, he says it right there, having purified your souls. <laughs> you know, he, he's using a participle, referring to something that's already uh, been done. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That's the, that's the assumption. This is something that has happened. You have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And what have you purified your souls for? You have purified your souls for a sincere brotherly love. Now, we've, we've seen over the, the course of the last several weeks that, that love is the essence of the Christian life. This is the life to which you have been called. This is the life of a disciple. Sincere brotherly love is the defining mark of a Christian. Jesus himself said it. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Paul said it in, in 1 Corinthians. He said, this is the most excellent manifestation of the Spirit in the life of the believer that you would love. Yes, gifts are powerful. Yes, gifts are to be desired that we might do the work that God has given us to do. But the most excellent manifestation of the Spirit in the life of the believer is Christian love. And Peter is here saying, you have purified yourself to walk in such love. You've purified your souls for that life. How? How have you done this? How have you purified your life? He says, by your obedience to the truth. So they have been purified for the Christian life. They've been purified for a life of loving their brothers and sisters well to the glory of God. They've been purified for that life by their obedience to the truth. But what does that mean? It's a it's a phrase that I think we, we could easily take in the wrong direction. We could, we could easily take that fa- phrase and, and turn it into some sort of salvation by works. Well, we've, we've been saved, we've been purified for love by, by our obedience, by our work, by our uh, keeping of God's law. But let's look at what Peter actually says. Look again at verse 23. He says, You, uh, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth... Love one another. So having, done, having been purified, now love. You've been purified for it, now love. That's the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the abiding word of God. And so Peter says that they have been purified for, obedience, or, uh, for love by obedience, which is being born again. He, he refers to their, 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 their purification in two ways. First, they have been purified by their obedience. Second, they've been purified by being born again. And we know that, that being born again is uh, something that God does, something that only God uh, can do. We, we can't cause ourselves to be born again, Jesus tells Nicodemus. To be born again is to be born again from above. It is to be born again by the very power of God. Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Ephesians. He says that, that it is God who caused you to, uh, be, uh, to be made alive together with Christ. You were dead in your sins, but God made you alive together with Christ. Or God caused you to be born again, as Jesus says in his conversation with, with Nicodemus. And so obedience to the truth here uh, is, is parallel with or connected with this idea of being born again, which, which suggests that obedience to the truth is, is a way of speaking about faith. And Jesus himself actually uh, speaks this way. He said, what is the obedience that God requires that you believe on the Son? 
What is obedience to the truth? What is a proper response to the truth? It is to receive the truth. What is the truth that God has revealed? The truth that God has revealed is that we are sinners in the sight of God, justly condemned, without hope of salvation, but that God, in mercy, sent forth his Son in human flesh, that he might stand in our place, being delivered up for our sins on the cross and raised again for our justification on that first resurrection day. And when we receive this gospel, when we believe this gospel, we are being obedient to the truth because it is a gospel that calls for a response of faith. Faith is obedience to the truth. And it is through that faith, through that, that, uh, that reception of the gospel, that we have been born again. That's why Peter can say there in verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable uh, through the living and abiding word of God. The word, the word of this gospel, uh, the word, the, the record of what God has done for the salvation of sinners. This word is the seed that contains the, the power of life. And it's through this seed that God has caused us to be born again to the life of love for which we were created and to which he has redeemed us. So the first thing we see in this text is that the word is the power of God for, this, for salvation in that it is the power to make those who are dead in their sins alive together with Christ. And this means that if we would see unbelievers saved, if we would see those who are still dead in their sins, those who, who do not yet know Jesus Christ, those who have not yet been born again, if we would see them made alive together with Christ, then we must engage them with the gospel. Yes, we, we must engage them with grace. Paul tells us that. Let our words be seasoned with salt. We are to be Winsome, we are to be gracious as we engage with unbelievers. And yes, we are to love them well uh, in their actual physical circumstances. We are, we are not to, to say be warm and well filled and then uh, ignore their, their needs. There's a reality where we are to, to respond to their physical needs. And there's a reality where we are to speak to them with grace. All of that is true, but understand this. That serving their physical needs and, and speaking with grace is utterly powerless until we engage the power of God. And the power of God for the salvation of sinners, the power of God to make those who are dead in their sins alive together with Christ is the word. That's why Paul says that they, they, cannot, they cannot be saved unless they hear that word, unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to them. And so if you have friends, if you have family members who you long uh, to, to hear uh, come to know the, the grace of, of God and to, know, and to come to believe in Jesus Christ and to have new life in him, then know that you have the power of God to that end. You just need to find ways to proclaim to them. Yes, you, you, you need to do it with grace. Yes, you need to do it with, with winsomeness. And no, you, you don't need to uh, you know, beat them over the head with, a, with the Bible every time that you, you see them. But as you have opportunity, as he opens the door, you proclaim to them the good news of the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
eternal life. Those words, that gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And so we must, as we engage with unbelievers, continue to proclaim that gospel, to hold out that gospel as the hope of new life. That gospel is not only for those who do not yet know. The power of God is is beyond the power of creation to to the power of sustaining the universe. And so we see that that this gospel is not only the power of God for new birth, but it is also the the power of God for growth towards maturity. This is actually implied in what Peter says in verses 22 and and 23. he's, He's calling them to live the life for which they have been saved. They've been purified for love. Now they need to love. So, so there's already a call to the, the life for which they have been saved, but he, he makes this explicit beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what he says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. This is what he's, he's calling them to. They, they've been born again. Now they need to live a life worthy of the salvation that they have received in Christ. They need to put away uh, the works of the flesh. They need to love. That's what he's calling them to. All of these things that he's speaking here are are violations and vandalizations of of God's love. But how? 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 Anyone who has ever tried to put away malice, anyone who has ever tried to put away deceit, anyone who has ever tried to put away hypocrisy knows how hard it is. You, You know this. You know how hard it is to to put off the, the works of the flesh. How many, how many times have you made the same resolutions again and again and again? We, we know how hard it is to, to put away the deeds of the flesh and to, and to put on love. And that's why Peter says that, that therefore, like newborn infants, you ought to long for the pure spiritual milk. And what is that milk? Well, in the context, it can only be the word. That's what he's talking about. You you see it at the very end of of chapter 1. This word is the good news that was preached to you. So, there it is. There's the connection. We, We have a chapter break there. We don't always read these verses together. Therefore, we don't always see what this pure spiritual milk is, but but it's clear in in Peter's flow of thought that the pure spiritual milk that he is referring to here is the word, the good news, that was preached to them. So here we have it. Peter is saying that if if you would grow up in your salvation, if you would more and more uh, walk in the sincere brotherly love for which you have been purified, then you must long for the pure milk of the word. It is by that milk that you will grow up into your salvation. Again, it's not that you get your salvation. You're already saved. You've been purified. You've been born again. But now through this milk, through the continual feeding upon God's word, you will grow up into your salvation. You will will more and more be conformed to the image of the glory of your Savior. You will more and more be strengthened to, to walk in the footsteps of sincere, brotherly, love. And so if you, again, have people you know who you long to see grow, you must engage them 
with the gospel. This is a word to parents. Parents, you want to see your children grow up in their salvation. You, you want to see them more and more learn to, to live out their faith. We, we've heard several of our covenant children make a public profession of faith this morning. That is, that is glorious, uh, but that is the beginning of a life. That's the beginning of a, of a journey. We, we want to see them grow up in that salvation that they have professed. And how does that happen? Through the power of the word the power of the word. It's as, the, as they feed upon the gospel. But of course, it's not only for children to, to grow. Every adult in this room is still growing. In some sense, we are still babes in the faith, far short of, of what we have been called to be. And so if you have uh, peers who, who you want to see grow, people who you are walking alongside in their endeavor after maturity, then you need to minister to them the word. And of course, it's not just for them, it's also for you. You long to grow. You long to be growing up in your salvation. You know, with, with maybe more, more painful clarity than anyone else in the room, how you fall short of the life to which you have been called. You know how you fall short of the, of the sincere brotherly love to which you have been saved. You know the the malice that is in your heart. You know the the selfishness that that you have to to fight against. And if you want to keep growing, you need the power of the word. Here in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the good news of what God has done to reconcile sinners to themselves, we have the power of God for salvation. The power of God to make those who are dead in their sins alive together with Christ and to make those who are alive together in Christ conformed more and more to the image of his glory. The gospel is a means of grace. Because the gospel, the word of God, is is the means by which we receive the the resurrection power of God to be born again and to grow up in the salvation that is ours in him. This is why, this is why we must continue to to, to meditate upon the word, to soak in the word, to to let it dwell richly in our hearts. We'll we'll look in, uh, 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 in the weeks ahead and how uh, practically, how we uh, can uh, lay hold of the word, how we can make use of the word. But this morning, we, we simply need to be impressed with this idea that the word is the power of God. Because it's recognizing the power of the word that will motivate us to seek it, to study it, to, to, to meditate upon it. If we think that this is simply human wisdom, if we think that this is simply good in instructions, then yeah, we may give it some attention. But when we begin to see and when we begin to recognize that this is, this is not merely human wisdom, this is the power of God. And yes, at times it seems like foolishness. Yes, at times it, it seems like weakness. But that's simply the upside-down economy of God. This is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. This is the power of God that you might live out the salvation that is yours in Christ. In him, by this gospel, you have been born again. And in him, by this gospel, you will grow. And you will be enabled to live a life worthy of his salvation.
name. And because we have the power of God in our hands, at our disposal, to feast upon it as we will, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you, Father, that that we have your power for the salvation of those who believe. Father God, may, may we not neglect such a great gift, but may we feast upon it. May we meditate upon it. May we let it dwell in us richly. And may we be transformed by it to the praise of your glory and our eternal good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.